Welcome to the Lab Rats Podcast. You are now entering the maze. So you just finished the five-day fast last week? Yeah. Friday, two days ago? Yeah, Friday. So, so are you back to like a full-on meals now? Like have you had a full meal yet? Yeah. Or just yeah, easy into it? I, I wish I would have eased into it a little better. I mean, I did pretty good. So Friday night, I broke it at 630. I just had bone broth. And then I was still like starving after that. Oh, yeah. So I had some soup. It didn't have any chunks in it. It was just like a kettle and fire soup. And then I had that baby food stuff uh, that was just like mashed vegetables. And I was still hungry. And then about two or three hours later, I, I just was craving some guac. Mm-hmm. So I... Got some guac and some grain-free chips. Ooh. And uh, that's all I had Friday night. Saturday morning, I did a green smoothie. That settled fine. And then I actually did, like, kind of mid-morning, I did uh, some eggs and avocado. Okay. And then and then after that, I, I went into my normal okay. eating schedule. But it's weird because I feel like I'm out of touch with when I'm full or not. Yeah. Like my body just wants to eat because. Right. I mean, after five days of, of hunger, you know, and then going back to like your body doesn't know what's normal anymore. You know, you broke that. It's you broke its memory of kind of like what a normal eating day is. Yeah. So what was the worst? Was it day two that was that was the worst for you? Yeah. Day two is the worst. Like, was it always gradual increase in hunger or like is day two when it kind of peaked and stopped? I think the hunger itself peaked at about hour 24. I didn't get any more hungry after day one. Hmm. Now, my energy went down day two. And three, my energy started to come back. But I think, I don't know, it was day night three or night four where I felt the best I felt. Yeah. And one thing that I did notice was I could think really clearly. Like those last couple days. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I could just think really well. I could get a lot done. I was very productive those days. And it was kind of nice not getting interrupted for for meals. Yeah, you had to have more time on your hand. I mean, five days, three meals, you know, that's 15 meals you skipped. Like, think how much time you probably saved there. And just yeah. like mental, like, because I, I, I love food. I'm, I'm kind of always thinking about the next meal, especially when you're at work. <laughs> it's like, you know, waiting for lunch. Like, you just don't yeah. have that. So. It's got to save you a lot of like mental time, mental energy and like physical time. Yeah, it did. But then I, then I kept checking my <laughs> fasting app, which like on mm. day three, like, all right, what percentage am I done? <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter. I'm like two and a half days out. Right. Why are you, why are you looking at the app? But no, it was good. I, uh, I think I'm going to do my plan from here on out is I want to do 16, eight intermittent fast every day. And then once a month, do a 24 hour fast. Mm-hmm. Those aren't bad. And then once a quarter, maybe do like a three day fast. Okay. And then, and then we'll see next year, maybe, maybe once a year, once a year, do a five day. fast. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you listening, Andy did a five day complete fast, just water, you just drink water, correct? Water, black coffee, tea, nothing added any of those. Mm-hmm. I did add a little sea salt into my water at times for the electrolytes. Yeah. But that was it. Yeah. And you, you did stories kind of you know, documenting your five days. So we'll, Put that in a like a highlight story on our Instagram so you can see kind of like the reason why he did the fast and um, there's a lot of benefits to it. So you, you kind of talk through that in your stories. So we'll put yeah. that as a highlight story on our Instagram so you guys can kind of 
track the five days there and see kind of what you went through and, and all the benefits you experienced yeah. throughout. Yeah. It definitely wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I think most people could do it. Really? Okay. Uh, it sounds like crazy to a lot of people, but yeah. I really do feel like most people. So do you think do if you can do a 24 hour fast, you can do a five day fast as easily or is it significantly harder? You just got to get used to being hungry. Like yeah. by day five, I'm like, I'm not miserable, but I'm tired of, I'm tired of this feeling. Yeah. And I'm tired of not like socializing while I'm eating and you know, little things like that. I struggle just from getting from breakfast to lunch, you know, <laughs> so I need, yeah, to, you, I need yeah, to do it body. sometime, but yeah, we'll do it. We'll do an episode on fasting sometime. Yeah, we have. We'll do that in the future for sure. Yeah. But today we are talking about the opposite. <laughs> We're talking about snacks, um, specifically healthy snacks or health snacks that people think are healthy. So there are different kind of uh, tiers of snacks. There are snacks that everybody agrees that are bad. So like Doritos, uh, Snickers, fruit roll-ups, Cheez-Its, stuff like that. Most people, if not everybody, knows that those are not healthy snacks. They're they're pretty bad for you. Then there are snacks that do seem kind of healthy, like Kind Bars, Cashew Bars, uh, Hippies, which are like a cheese puff. They're a vegan cheese puff, uh, Triscuits, things like that that are People look at the box, markets it as healthy. It looks healthy. Um, even the nutrition facts, like the um, the fat, the protein, the carbs, might look not too bad for you. Um, and then there, but the truth is, some of those aren't as healthy as they seem. And then there's a third group, which are snacks that truly are clean. They're free of um, of poor quality ingredients. And we're going to talk about kind of those top two tiers today. So there's the seemingly healthy snacks and then there's the actually healthy snacks. So we're going to kind of talk about those two different tiers and just look at some of the seemingly healthy snacks and kind of talk about common ingredients in there and why they actually may not be healthy. Yeah, I think like even the healthy snacks, it's getting harder and harder to distinguish what's good and what's bad for you. Like the marketing has become more clever. Even Mm -hmm. if you look at those knowingly unhealthy foods like i'm fruit roll-ups i i I can't verify that this is on the fruit roll-up package but like zero trans fat you know yeah yeah i mean even the terrible snacks they they try to market as somewhat healthy right and and that works its way into to pretty much everything everything you Mm -hmm. look at that's in a box or a packaging at the store there's some sort of claim on the front and you really got to dig in deeper. Unfortunately, it's getting harder to distinguish what's good and what's bad. Um, even for those who are consciously trying to make good decisions at the grocery store, uh, it's easy to be deceived by packaging. Yeah. Yeah. I think like one of the earliest trends back in, I don't even know when this started, maybe in the 80s or 90s, is low fat. So that was like the big health um, trend companies put on labels. So they would do you know, low fat Oreos. When in reality, they're replacing the fat and they're just jacking up the sugar on it to make it still taste good. So that's one of like the right. first health trends that companies started putting on packaging. But like you said, now it's getting really challenging to because they've gotten so good. They know the consumer so well. It's gotten challenging to see what actually is healthy. So you'll see stuff like Kashi. I don't know if I'm saying that. Kashi or Kashi. They have they make cereal bars and some of their stuff may be okay. It looks healthy. They market it to be a very healthy brand. But in reality, a lot of that stuff might not be, you know, as healthy as it actually is. They've 
marketed marketed it so well that you really have to be pretty like knowledgeable in nutrition to know if it truly is a healthy product or not. Right. And it's it's unfortunate that that's where we're at today. Like I I am optimistic for a day where we don't have to do that, but um, I think right now it's just we we have to become knowledgeable in, in this sort of thing and mm-hmm. kind of take our health into our own hands to make sure we know what we're putting into our bodies. Yeah. It's easy for us to look at other people who are eating garbage and like kind of judge them for that. But in reality, most people don't know how bad, you know, the things they're eating is for them. Like they think they're making the right, right. choices. And it's it's sad that, you know, companies have deceived them into thinking that. But um, yeah, it just... Gun. Even us, I mean, going through this and this research that we did for this episode opened my eyes to stuff that that I was eating that I didn't know was, you know, not too great. Yeah, I know. I mean, as we sit here and talk about this, I'm drinking a, uh, a generic LaCroix, which has natural flavors in it. And we'll get into right. natural flavors later in this episode. But like, it's so easy to buy these things and then realize like oh i thought this was okay for me and then you go home and you take a closer look and it's like oh this has such and such in it right so yeah the i guess ingredient we're going to cover a few top ingredients that are found in seemingly healthy snacks that basically make the snack not healthy for you so the top two ingredients that you're going to see in almost all of these is a type of seed oil and then a sugar um, so we're gonna look at seed oils we're gonna look at sugars we're going to look at natural and artificial flavorings, and then we're going to um, briefly talk about gums and lecithins. So those are the kind of top ingredients we're going to cover and talk about why these are pretty bad ingredients to have on the food you're consuming. Yeah. So let's start with industrial seed oils. You've probably seen these on many packagings. Uh, they're Sunflower oils, corn oils, cottonseed, sesame, safflower, uh, sesame, peanut, soybean, canola is a big one, uh, which is also called rapeseed oil. So you may see it listed on ingredient is that uh, walnut, flaxseed come in many different forms. But I'm going to briefly touch on the history of these seed oils. I don't want to go into too much detail. I'm going to put an article in the show notes that actually runs through this. It's pretty interesting, but... Uh, it's extensive, so I won't I won't go all the way into it. Essentially, these seed oils uh, was previously used to make soap, and at that time in the early 1900s, it was considered to be toxic waste. And then Procter and Gamble figured out a way to make this oil or these oils into a solid, use them for cooking, which we now call Crisco. And they they made some big donations to the American Heart Association which shortly afterwards, the uh, American Heart Association endorsed these oils, and now they've been rebranded as vegetable oils. But that has not come without a cost. There are some some pretty, pretty big health impacts that these oils have, and especially from excessive use. So I'm going to just hit on two things. There's several reasons why these oils are dangerous, but I'm just going to hit on two of them right now. The big one being... Uh, the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, and the second one being uh, the ways the oils are used, so the oxidation of the oils. So starting with this omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, uh, we've heard of omega-3s before, probably omega-6 as well, but what are they? 
They are essential fatty acids. And what that means is that our bodies can't produce these fatty acids ourselves, but we need them for our survival. So that means we have to get them from our diet. And both of these are good. Our bodies need them. Omega-6 is uh, pro-inflammatory in nature. So it promotes the production of arachidonic acid and prostaglandins, which we just mentioned in our last episode, which serves a purpose. Uh, they're important to our bodies and our body's response to injuries and pathogens. So it is necessary for our body, but quantity and quality matter, like with anything. And when we get too much of this uh, omega-6 or too much of an inflammatory response, we start having problems. Well, almost all chronic illnesses at the core of it is inflammation. So we want to limit that the best we can. We don't want to add more, more of it than beyond what our body needs. Okay, and then on the other side, we have omega-3. And that fat is anti-inflammatory in nature. There are three primary omega-3 fats, EPA, which helps. Uh, it's an anti-inflammatory and it helps modulate infl inflammation. DHA, that's important in brain development. And there's ALA, uh, which is still being researched, but it's believed to assist with heart health. So omega-3 serves very important purpose to our body as well. So we need both of these, but a balance between them is very important. Multiple studies have shown us um, that a lot of problems arise when we have excess omega-6 consumption that is substantially greater than our omega-3 consumption. Now, historically and before these seed oils took off, the consumption was generally one-to-one, -one, omega-6 to omega-3. That was the typical ratio. That's what our ancestors ate, and uh, that's enough to get all of our essential amino acids. That's what you get when you eat what's around you in your natural environment. But, you know, we noticed in the 1900s, chronic illnesses rose dramatically. Uh, cancer, diabetes, heart disease. And if you look at the modern diet now with these, these essential fatty acids, the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio is closer to 20 to 1, sometimes 25, 30 to 1, getting substantially more omega-6 than our bodies are used to. So why is this a problem? We, we need omega-6, we need omega-3, omega so why does it matter how much we're getting? Well, like I said, omega-6 is a pro-inflammatory, so it actually reduces the effect of omega-3, which is essential to our body functioning optimally, but it kind of counteracts the, the positive effects of omega-3, which is helps modulate inflammation. And then omega-6 increases inflammation. So it's not only reduces the good impact of omega-3, but it increases the pro-inflammatory response from the omega-6. And so ideally the ratio is one to one, but it's almost impossible to do this when you're consuming industrial seed oils. So do you know, I know like some common high fat, high good fat foods is like avocado, salmon, what, and like extra virgin olive oil. What do you know the ratios of those types of foods? Yeah. And so I'll, I'll get to that. Um, those are some of the better ones, avocado and oil. The ones that have the highest omega-6 to omega-3 content is safflower. Um, so that has higher a, higher 6 versus 3, right? The 3 is correct. low, the 6 is high. Okay. Yeah, I mean, safflower is almost all, it's like 75% omega-6, 0 omega-3. Sunflower oil is also very high. Corn, cottonseed, sesame, peanut, these are high. I'm, I'm going from greatest to lowest. Okay. So safflower being the greatest. 
um, working down to sunflower, corn, cottonseed, sesame, peanut. And then when you get soybeans, there's there's some omega-3s in that. Canola is still pretty high, but you're starting to get omega-3s. Walnut and flaxseed uh, have actually a pretty decent balance. Um, and then fish oil is purely omega-3. Uh, um, avocado is about a 13 to 1. Olive oil is about a 10 to 1. Um, but I'll get to why that why that's okay. So they've actually done studies that have shown uh, what happens when we have a disproportional ratio between omega-6 and omega-3. And I won't go through every study because I've already gone on a lot about this, but it, they've shown an increase in risk to uh, of cognitive decline, primarily Alzheimer's disease. There's a couple studies that have shown that. Diabetes, obesity, uh, gut problems, cardiovascular disease, and even cancer. So the evidence is pretty strong against a high intake of omega-6, which industrial seed oils are rich in. That's all I'll say about the omega-6 to omega-3 content. Um, I mean, again, our body needs these, but when you get way too much omega-6, which you do, you get a very high concentration when you eat, consume these foods with seed oils, a lot of problems start arising, and we've seen that from studies. So you mentioned... Well, you said avocado oil and extra virgin olive oil had higher six to three. So why? I think those are generally considered healthier oils. Why would those be considered healthy? Yeah, because avocado oil, even though the ratio of omega six to omega three is thirteen to one, it still has an overall low omega six content. Okay, like it's just it's a lot lower, and the um the smoke point is lower. The it can take more heat. So you don't get toxic byproducts, which leads me into actually my second point on why seed oils are bad, and that's the oxidation. So industrial seed oils oxidize easily, um, and they have a low low heat point. So they start breaking down and creating these toxic byproducts when they're heated to certain temperatures. And this happens a lot, and it happens many times in the production process. And so there's these chemical reactions when it gets to this high heat. And uh, again, they've done studies on this as well. And they've seen that it creates this chemical called lipid peroxide. And this has been shown to be very harmful to humans. It damages proteins, causes cellular dysfunction and tissue damage, uh, all of which impact aging and longevity. And so that's, that's one of the other problems with these is before it goes into these foods, it, it's heated up, it's cooled down, heated up again, and they add stuff to it as well, which that could be a whole separate conversation that I'm not going to get into, but it breaks it down into, it's not even a vegetable anymore. So calling it a vegetable oil is really quite deceiving. So avocado and olive oil have a, a high, well, avocado has a high smoke point, so you don't get the oxidation and you don't get the toxic byproducts. And then olive oil, it doesn't have as high of a smoke point, but the way that it's constructed, it doesn't break down or doesn't oxidize easily. So again, you don't get those toxic byproducts. So, uh, so avocado oil and olive oil, both the ratio of six to three isn't great, but just the overall content of six is lower than your tip typical vegetable oils and the smoke point is higher. So is that correct? That's why those two are kind of more considered to be healthier options than just vegetable oil. Yeah. Yeah. You don't basically like the two big problems with seed oils, you don't get nearly as much as with avocado and olive. And then, um, as I mentioned, fish fat is like primarily omega three. So you don't have any, um, omega six, three issue with it. It's not even really comparable to seed oils. It's just a completely different thing. And then coconut oil, 
also has very little omega-6, um, but it's like 91% saturated fat. And then as we know, where, where omega-6 and omega-3 are polyunsaturated, coconuts, almost 100% saturated fats. Animal fats are all saturated fats. And whether or not saturated fat is good for you, whether it comes from a coconut or animals is a whole separate discussion that I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail right now. But the moral of the story is these industrial seed oils are quite bad for our health and they are in most seemingly healthy snacks. When people say avoid processed foods, this is what they mean. This is part of the processing of the food that damages it and adds, adds these things that really your body was not created to handle. So what about uh, ghee? Is that, does that fall under the same kind of category of these? I know, I know you guys cook with ghee a lot, don't you, versus oils. So how, how does that compare to these? Yeah, that, that would be, that would fall under animal fats. Okay. Because it's, I'll have to do my research. It's similar to butter, but it's, it's made differently. Mm -hmm. But that would be primarily saturated fats. Okay. And does that have like a six to three ratio? No, it's a different kind of fat. Okay. Completely. Um, it does have, I know most animal products do have, the fats found in animals have a six to three balance. I mean, it's mostly saturated fats, but the essential fatty acids in there are, have a relatively good balance between omega-6 and omega-3. Okay. And then we, we do use avocado and olive oil. Olive oil we use for our salads because we don't cook that with that too much. And then avocado we use for cooking sometimes but yeah it's it's i mean to call it a vegetable oil is just blatantly deceitful and it's very harmful and if you look at a lot of things really any product it's going to have one of these seed oils in it yeah so later on the episode we're going to kind of break down specific snacks like looking at bars looking at you know chips and crackers and everything i looked at almost everything had typically i think the most common i saw was sunflower seed oil but some type of seed oil is in everything. Yeah, and I think I think they've started changing it. I feel like back in the day it used to be just vegetable oil, but then mm -hmm. they, they've broken it down. I think that's more more deceitful almost because people look at sunflower oil and they think, oh, it's sunflower yeah, seeds. Those, it's are, those are good for you. Right. But sunflower is one of the most highest in omega-6 content. Yeah. And even me, honestly, probably a few weeks ago, I would look at that and like, okay, sunflower oil, it's, it's probably not bad. When I'm digging into this and and seeing that, it's the farthest thing from a vegetable. Mm -hmm. Like it's really not. By the time they break it down, the oil isn't even in its original composition anymore. And they add so much crap to it that it's just, it's not what it's marketed as yeah. to be. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I was just at the store doing grocery shopping a day and looking at the organic and natural stuff. And we'll get into organic and natural foods here later on as well. But I was looking in that section and looking specifically at like tortilla chips and stuff like that. And all of them, even these organic and natural ones, had sunflower seed oil, like everything. Like every snack food almost has it. It's so hard to find one without sunflower seed oil in yeah. it. So, yeah, yes. no, it's it's really like when you take a minute and look at the ingredients, it's really surprising to see kind of how much really garbage is in this food that we're eating. And um, especially since we know the detrimental you know, health factors that come in. When we have an imbalance omega six to three ratio and looking at the foods we're consuming on a daily basis, most of them have these oils that have a very, very high omega six content and nearly zero omega threes in them. Yeah. And our, bo our body, 
is just not equipped to handle it. That's right. just how it is. Yeah. And I think uh, some people, you know, just be like, okay, can I just like supplement with omega threes and then get those back up? I think that's one way to do it. But I think the best thing would be remove the omega sixes from your diet and then also bring in good omega threes, like eating salmon yes. and different types of fishes that have that high omega three content while removing processed omega six foods and oils from your diet. Yeah. So try to get those balanced yeah, out. Yeah. You really should be getting these omega sixes. You shouldn't be factoring in these unhealthy snacks, but well, I do need some omega six. So I'm going to eat these snacks. You really, you need to be getting your omega six from avocados. Get them straight from the source. So you have no problem getting them. If you just eat, eat a diet without processed food, you will have no issues getting your omega sixes. Right. Right. Um, so you have anything else with the oils that you wanted to cover? No, I need a break after all that. So why don't you go <laughs> on right. sugar? So yeah, sugar is the second major ingredient that's found in almost every snack. And sugar, actually, you've probably heard this before, has multiple different names to it. So I've seen it anywhere from like 56 to 61 is kind of the range. I saw different names for sugar, meaning the um, these companies can disguise sugar 56 different ways so first of all we'll put that in the show notes the kind of the different names for it just so you can look at those and be aware when you're at the store shopping okay like you know maple syrup that's just sugar um brown rice syrup that's just sugar so just knowing that list is very helpful because then you can see kind of actually how much sugar is in your food because often when you look at something you'll see sugar on it but then you'll see brown rice syrup and then you'll see uh cane sugar it's like there's like ends up being five different types of sugar in a single product so i'm gonna go very broad on kind of like what sugar is how our body processes it because this is just important to know for um why it's bad for you so broad overview all foods have three macronutrients so that's got a carb a protein and a fat those are the three macronutrients and those are the three things Basically, our bodies use for energy, but the preferred energy source for the body is carbohydrates. I know, you know, carbs are kind of sometimes seen as a bad thing, but carbohydrates are typically what people use as their energy source. Some people, um, you know, people who are doing the keto diet or are, are in ketosis are essentially using fat for energy rather than carbs. But most of the people out there are using carbs as their primary energy source. Carbohydrates then, looking at those specifically, can be broken down into two groups. So there's a simple carb and there is a complex carb. So a simple carb is made up of one or two sugars. So another name for sugar is saccharides. So you've probably heard of like a monosaccharide or disaccharide or polysaccharide. These are different types of carbohydrates. So a simple carb is a, a monosaccharide, one sugar, and then a disaccharide, which is two sugars. Monosaccharides, some examples of what those are, I'm sure you've heard these two terms before, is glucose and fructose. And then disaccharides, two sugars. Um, you've probably heard this as well. Sucrose is a disaccharide. And sucrose is simply table sugar. So the white sugar in your pantry uh, the scientific name for it is sucrose. And sucrose 
is two monosaccharides grouped together. So it's, oh, it's a glucose and it's a fructose together. Some other common uh, disaccharides still under the simple carbohydrate group is lactose and maltose. So lactose is dairy, uh, which is made up of one glucose and one galactose. And then maltose, which is barley, is two glucose compounds. Now, the theme you've seen here is that glucose is basically the foundation of every carbohydrate. Every carb has a glucose in it, um, so it's, it's really the, the foundational uh, sugar out there. Now, looking at complex carbs, it is simply just made up with more sugars. So simple carbs, one to two. Complex carbs, three or more sugars. And these, how these are different is that they are typically found in more complex foods. So beans, lentils, peas, uh, potatoes, whole grains, these are all made up with complex carbs. Now, in general, complex carbs are, are, are healthier than your simple carbs. Simple carbs are uh, just basically sugars, whereas complex carbs are a lot, they're a lot harder to break down in the body, not harder to break down. It takes more time to break them down and it allows the body to kind of use it as energy over a period of time. We're not going to focus on complex carbs. We're not going to be looking at those specifically today. What we want to look at is the simple carbs, which is the sugars. Well, they're all sugars, but they're what we see as sugars, essentially. So glucose and fructose are the two I want to look at specifically. Both of these are monosaccharides. And like I said before, glucose is essentially the foundational carb. It's found in almost everything. And then fructose is the second one we're going to look at. So Glucose is, um, it's less sweet than fructose will be. And the reason it is the body's preferred source of energy is that it can be metabolized in almost every cell of the body. And when you take in a food that has a glucose in it, it's absorbed through the bloodstream from the small intestine. And then from there, it's delivered to cells and then the cells use it for energy. And how it's delivered to the cells is through insulin. So I'm sure you've kind of heard of insulin before as well. Um, Whenever you eat something with sugar in it, the sugar goes into your blood. Then the pancreas is informed of that, sends insulin into the bloodstream as well. And it tells basically cells to take in the glucose or not. And then once the glucose is in a cell, the cell can use it for energy at that point. So... What is, I guess, bad about glucose is that it really spikes your blood sugar quickly. So if you just take something with, uh, if you consume a food with high glucose content, your blood sugar is going to spike dramatically. And then it often follows by a, a very quick crash. And how this is kind of identified, I don't know if you've heard of, this is often late, like put on Uh, packages is glycemic index so if you'll look at a lot of healthier foods kind of market what the the gi or the glycemic index is so if it has a high glycemic index that means basically your blood sugar is going to spike very quickly followed by a quick crash so uh, uh, the the glycemic index is simply just a a ranking of carbohydrates um, to just determine how it affects blood glucose 
Generally, we want to eat foods that have a, a low glycemic index, meaning it's not going to spike our blood sugars. So generally, we want low, but we'll get into in a minute here why that's not always the case. But glucose has a, a very high glycemic index. Mm-hmm. Now, fructose is a, like I said before, another monosaccharide. It's a simple carb, and it's very sweet. It's much sweeter than, than glucose is going to be. Now, it's similar to glucose in that it is also absorbed uh, into your bloodstream through the small intestine. But rather than going to cells at that point, it has to go to the liver because fructose can only be metabolized in the liver, where I said with glucose can be metabolized in any cell in the body. And that's where the kind of dark side of fructose comes into play and why we've heard so many bad things about fructose, you know, high fructose corn syrup mm-hmm. is fructose or primarily fructose. It's because the liver is, is doing all the metabolizing and it causes a whole host of issues with it. Um, and it doesn't actually impact blood sugar levels or insulin. So um, glucose is what does that fructose is not going to spike your blood sugar or you know, signal the pancreas to release insulin. So fructose is actually a low, has a low glycemic index, which makes you think, okay, if it's a low Mm -hmm. glycemic index, if it's not going to support my blood sugar, then it's okay to eat. But because it's going directly to your liver, your liver has to kind of go into overdrive to process it. And depending on what is associated or is what goes along with that fructose to the liver kind of depends how the liver has to process it. So, um, if you take fruit, for example, you know, fruit is fructose. It's very high in fructose. So you kind of question like, okay, fruit has fructose in it. Isn't it okay to eat that? And fruit is okay because along with the fructose, you're getting all sorts of other nutrients. You're getting fiber, you're getting vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, all types of things that will actually help the metabolism process in the liver it makes them go much slower. So it's not going to kind of crash the liver and make it metabolize super fast. It has all these other nutrients with it that your body can use, and it slows down the the metabolism process. When you drink like a Coke, for example, it goes straight to the liver, and the liver has to go into overdrive to process that, and your body is not getting, nothing is there to slow it down, and your body is getting no added nutrients to it so, so you're really yeah you're really putting your liver to work when you when you exactly have fructose it's from an unnatural source right and that's yeah that's the thing it's it's when you're getting it from unnatural sources where it's processed it likely has nothing else with it to slow down the the metabolism but yeah so this has been studied significantly with the industrial use of high fructose corn syrup it has been shown to cause insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, fatty liver, obesity, type 2 diabetes, and just in general increased inflammation in the body, which we know is linked to a whole host of other issues. So Yeah, it's pretty much the core of all chronic illnesses. Right. Yes. So glucose and fructose, the two primary sugars, fructose, although it doesn't increase our blood sugar, it, it really wreaks havoc on the liver and then in turn wreaks havoc on your entire body. So now that we kind of know what glucose and fructose is, I want to talk about some common misconceptions about sugars. Um, 
One of them is that agave is a healthy alternative to sugar. So this is what I didn't know much about before researching this. I actually have agave in the pantry right now. <laughs> and on it, it says in, you know, branding low glycemic index. It's like, okay, that's good. You know, it's not going to spike my blood sugar. I'm like, right. it's, a, it's a healthy option. It's agave. It's from a plant. Um, so agave is actually has more fructose than both table sugar and high fructose corn syrup. Um, table sugar is sucrose, which is 50% fructose, 50% glucose. High fructose corn syrup is 55% fructose and 45% glucose. Agave nectar or agave syrup ranges anywhere from 70 to 90% fructose and the remainder glucose. So it is wow. very high in fructose. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty crazy. Now, if it did have other nutrients with it, you know, if it retained some of the phytonutrients from the plant with it, then you could kind of argue that, okay, yeah, the fructose is high, but because it has these other nutrients, it's going to slow down the absorption process and it's not going to be as detrimental to the liver. Like, but yeah. like if you were to eat agave straight up, it's different than agave syrup. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. processed so much that it removes most, if not all of the beneficial nutrients from the plant. So you now have nothing to slow down that absorption process. It goes straight to the liver and just wreaks havoc there. So agave is kind of the one that in at least, you know, the CrossFit community is seen as something not extremely harmful and a good alternative to table sugar. Whereas in reality, just because it's agave, it's not it's not doing your body any favors. Another misconception is, like we mentioned before, anything organic or natural. So if you go to Whole Foods and look at the back of something, it'll typically say, most things will say organic cane sugar. Just because it's organic cane sugar does not change anything in your body with how it's processed. It is still cane sugar. It's still 50% fructose, 50% glucose. And your body is not going to process it any different than the, the white table sugar in your pantry. So don't be fooled by organic or natural sweeteners in foods. Right. And uh, I feel like brown sugar falls into that category. Maybe that's yeah. changed over the years, but people are like, oh, okay, I'll add a little brown sugar on my oatmeal. I mean, it's essentially, it might taste a little different. It's essentially adding table sugar. Right. And I don't, I don't know the breakdown of fructose to glucose there, but I, I believe it's, it's very similar to table sugar. Yeah. So no different. So some options though, there are okay sweeteners out there. Now in an ideal world, you avoid sweeteners, additive sweeteners altogether. Uh, but you know, we're human. It's okay to have add sweetener every once in a while. So the things that I would recommend would be for actual, like real sweeteners, real sugar, uh, natural or not natural raw honey, which would be natural honey, uh, maple syrup and coconut sugar would be the kind of top three out there. The reason for that is that these three all have less fructose than your typical table sugar. So the fructose level in table sugar is 50%. These all, I think they're all around 30%. So less fructose. And they have a lot of nutrients with them. Honey in particular, I would recommend above maple syrup and coconut sugar just because it has a lot more 
nutrients in it that you get and that you're consuming along with that fructose to help the process. So also ensure you're getting high quality stuff. Don't go buy, you know, maple syrup. That's, I don't know, what's what's that one brand with like the cabin on it of maple Miss, syrup? Mrs. Butterworth? Yeah, yeah. Don't, be, don't go buy Mrs. Butterworth maple syrup. Oh, I'm sure they have like, yeah, they probably have a, a better one out now, but yeah, raw honey, maple syrup, coconut sugar, just in, ensure you're buying products that have only this in it. You know, like I think the I don't know what it's called. There's the one with the cabin on it, the maple syrup, right? It's just a yeah. syrup. But the number one ingredient on that is high fructose corn syrup. Like it's not wow. syrup. You need pure maple syrup and it's going to be a better option. Still good to avoid in, quant- in high quantities, but a better option. Right. Um, something else that we, I just want to touch on briefly is stevia and monk fruit. And we're going to be doing an episode in the future about, you know, sports drinks, just like non-alcoholic beverages, like, uh, teas. Um, and a lot of those drinks are sweetened with stuff like stevia and monk fruit. So we'll get into more in a future episode, but generally for these two, they are sugar alternatives. So they're not technically sugar meaning they basically don't have any calories, but they still come from, they're extracted from plants. And there's not, because these are kind of newer products, there's not significant research on it. But generally, the general consensus for these two, at least, consuming them in small quantities is not going to be harmful for you. Yeah. Um, that's not to say, you know, go buy Zevia pop and drink two a day um still trying to back right. off it but if you're going to drink a soda drinking a zevia which is sweetened with stevia is going to be significantly better yeah. than drinking a coke or a, a diet coke yeah yeah man that's super informative like just looking at this stuff i mean we just touched on things that are in almost everything seed oils mm-hmm. and sugar and it just opens up this can of worms that is overwhelming when you we look at it and think about all the different components and how it impacts your body. Uh, it right. really, you re- you really got to dig in to some of this stuff. Yeah. Yes, um, you do. I opened up this list of the 56 names of sugar. I just want to get a quick rundown of a few okay. of those just so yeah. people kind of know off, off right off the bat, what is sugar? Brown sugar is on there, obviously, uh, caramel, coconut sugar. Um, let me try to get some more like deceiving ones on here. Uh, molasses. That's a sugar barley malt. Uh, brown rice syrup, corn syrup, corn syrup, solids, dextrose, dextrin, um, glucose, glucose, uh, lactose, malt syrup, maltodextrin, maltose, rice syrup, all these things, fructose, obviously, all these words. Fruit juice. That's yeah, a good one. Fruit juice. They don't even have the word syrup or sugar in them, but they are pure sugar. So something to watch out for. I uh, yeah, definitely look at this list because it is it's helpful to see kind of how many different sugars are in what you're eating, because typically it's not just sugar. It's there's a couple of these on your on the ingredients. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good resource. So those are uh, seed oils and sugars are two big ones that you'll see in a lot of uh, a lot of foods. Another one that you've probably seen is natural flavoring uh, or natural flavors. I've always wondered, like, what is this? You know, you've seen natural flavors and artificial flavors uh they i think are the fourth most common food ingredient listed on food labels the one difference between natural flavors and artificial flavors natural 
anything you extract from a plant or animal source. Now, that doesn't mean that it has to stay in that form, but the beginning stage has to be from a plant or an animal. Artificial, it's chemically derived from a lab. However, they're really not terribly different, to be honest. Most of the time, the natural flavors are anything but natural. And it varies. Uh, it varies, and I'll explain why it's hard to distinguish one from another. But essentially, th there are potentially hundreds of artificial or synthetic ingredients added into these so-called natural flavors. The one uh, kind of disappointing thing about this is that food processors have to list all the ingredients on food labels. However, flavor manufacturers do not have to disclose their ingredients. So they can just mark it as a natural flavor. It was at one point derived from a plant. Uh, therefore, we can call it natural flavors and put it on there and done. Uh, so the legal definition is quite loose. And there are a lot of people trying to push to, to get them to be more transparent about that. And some companies openly disclose what's included in their natural flavors. So um, that's one way you can dig in to see. But it doesn't even necessarily have to serve as a flavor function. A lot of the times it can include preservatives, solvents, and modifiers to change the, the texture and, you know, preserve it. Uh, nine flavor chemicals can make up to 80 to 90% of these natural flavors. So by the time it's in your food, it may only be 10% of it is actually derived from a plant. The biggest thing here is that we have almost no idea as to what's in this. There is a organization flavor and extract manufacturers association fema fema and they do a check to confirm that it meets safety standards but again those are pretty loose and they're really just looking for immediate allergic reactions for people like is it going to kill you when you eat it which as we know some of these things may not impact your body for years and it can be consistent usage over time which they're not testing for so natural flavors can include solvents, chemicals, additives, like um, artificial preservatives. So in your natural flavor, they may have artificial preservatives, extracts from GMO plants. Now it is worth noting that natural flavors that are within certified organic foods have stricter requirements. So if you have a, uh, let's just say a, ba a bag of chips, let's say uh, it, it's certified organic and it has natural flavors on it. That doesn't mean the same thing as natural flavors that's listed on an ingredient box on a product that's not certified organic. So if it's certified organic, the natural flavors cannot include synthetic solvents, carriers, emulsifiers, artificial preservatives. They can't use petroleum-based solvents, and they can't use flavor extracts derived from uh, GMO crops. So it's a little better. And then it's even better if on the ingredient they say organic natural flavors. Again, the biggest problem with this is that we just don't want, know what's in it. It it may be fine. Like some manufacturers may use natural flavors that are fine for our body. There's not much to it. But others may load it with, with all kinds of crap and you won't be able to know the difference. Like I said, there are some companies where if you go to their website and you type in like natural flavors or ingredients, they'll expand on the natural flavors and explain like we don't use any artificial preservatives or, um, you know, synthetic solvents we don't use any gmo products so that's that's one way you can look but it's not required to be disclosed directly on the label man i feel like so many foods have like natural flavors in them like almost everything i i look at it's like something's added to it, like some type of flavoring i know i know it's, it's so frustrating i was at costco today and we were looking at different bars 
Mm-hmm. Like almost every single one had natural flavors. Right. And you think and it'll have like, okay, I'll, I'll be just going down the list. It's like, okay, this is fine. This is fine. This is fine. And then it'll only be like four ingredients and then natural flavors. Right. Yeah. So what does that mean? You don't know if it's like, it, it may not be bad. You just don't know. Correct. So basically for looking at different flavors, artificial flavoring, basically worst and then above that natural flavoring would be better and then organic natural flavoring would be even better because there's stricter standards on that correct yeah that's okay. absolutely correct and then above that would be just no natural flavors at all yeah just try, try to avoid them you know yeah. you can't like as like i said before as we speak i'm drinking a natural flavor drink <laughs> yeah um, it's hard. they're hard to avoid they yeah. really are Last two things I just want to touch on pretty quickly is two more common ingredients, soy lecithins and various gums. So soy lecithins is in many different products and that's because it's an emulsifier. So you'll see it in almost any snack food like bars, uh, ice creams, I don't know if it's in yogurts, maybe certain types of yogurts, but I think it is in yogurts actually. It's in all types of, of processed foods. Um, and the reason it's kind of alarming is just kind of how it's made. Um, it's, it's a processed soy byproduct. So in order to make this, soybean oil is extracted from the, the raw soybeans. And in order to do that, they use a chemical solvent called hexane. Um, and then there's further processing to get it to its final product. But that's kind of where the, the danger comes in is that there's a chemical that's used to extract the oil and then what they found through some testing is that in the final product of the soy lecithin and this could be uh, i'm saying soy lecithin it could be it could be i think sunflower has similar sunflower lecithin so i'm I'm saying soy specifically but it just lecithins in general so the the solvent used to extract the oil from the the, the bean is a chemical product, and it, and it kind of lingers around into the final product. And there's no regulation by the FDA on the amount that can be present in the final product. So it's kind of alarming. However, lecithins in general are a very small ingredient. It's it typically always falls under the the less than two percent section of the ingredient label. So you'll see kind of all the all the main ingredients on a label, and then you'll see less than 2%. Soy lecithins is usually on that. So you're getting a very small amount, and then the, the, the amount of chemical that is potentially left on it is also extremely small. So there's been no studies shown detrimental effects from this. So I would say it's not something to really be concerned about, and it is in so many products, but if you can avoid it, it's always best to additives altogether are best to avoid. But this one specifically, I'd say if you have like a, a soy allergy or if it's a sunflower lecithin, if you have a sunflower allergy, then avoid it. Or if you're just chemical sensitive, some people do have sensitivities to various chemicals and this may be one of them. So I'd say if you have a soy or chemical sensitivity, avoid these. But otherwise, I want like, you know, if you have the option where you have the same ingredients on on each one has less offense, one doesn't opt for the one that doesn't have it, but um, it's nothing extremely alarming. Um, okay. And then gums is another very common one. So that's uh, xanthan gum, which is essentially a fermented sugar. There's locust bean gum, gar gum, and uh, gum arabic. Those come from various plants and trees. 
And the gums are used as just a thickening agent pretty much. Um, so these are in yogurts for sure and many other products to just thicken up the, the food. Mm-hmm. And again, these aren't extremely things to be concerned about. There's not been studies showing or linking these to any specific types of diseases. Now, some people do have uh, kind of digestive reactions to these. So it can, it can upset the stomach in certain people. So if that's for you and sometimes, um, certain products will have more of this than others. And you can kind of point out, you know, you can figure out it's that that's the gum that's causing the issue. I would avoid it if that's the case. And if you know, it causes issues with you. Um, Otherwise, it's not extremely alarming to avoid. Now, just in general, if it has additives, opt to not eat that food. But lecithins and gums are not nearly as something you want to avoid nearly as much as the sugars, the flavorings and the industrial oils. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's good to know. I've seen that. I was actually today, I was looking at some bars and I saw the soy lecithin in it Mm -hmm. and was wondering about that. So that's good to know. So we've, we've really kind of went deep into some of this stuff on these ingredients, but I think it's important to know because you can't tell this from just looking at even an ingredient label. You definitely can't tell from looking at the front of the box or even the the uh, nutritional facts, right? You really got to look at the ingredients and then even dig deeper. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it really does take a lot of knowledge to, to know this stuff. Like your average person is not going to know this. Even your average well-educated person isn't going to know this stuff. Like it's really, it's sad how the food industry has put all this food in our products and we have no idea how damaging it is to us. Right. Right. So I went, I, uh, I went to the store and I thought, okay, I'm going to, go down the aisle of the snack section, look at some chips and crackers, things that I would want to get, things that I do get uh, that I know are popular and just look at the ingredient label and see see what we're dealing with. So one snack that I really like is the hit peas. Uh, they're the vegan white cheddar is the one that, you know, I, I, I try not to eat too much, but I do like those. They're nice and dense and flavorful. I'm not going to read the whole ingredient list, just the ones that popped out from things that we talked about. So the hit peas do contain sunflower oil and canola oil. Uh, we talked about the problems with those and uh, natural flavoring. I don't know what's in those natural flavorings, but uh, yeah, the oils there I think are are a real problem. And then I looked at Boom Chicka Pops, which are like popcorn. Those have sunflower oil in it. And the flavored ones have natural flavor. The Obviously, the unflavored do not. And then I looked at uh, from the ground up cauliflower crackers. This is something that I've, I've eaten on occasion when I need a, a Cheez-It fix. It's like a nice Cheez-It alternative. They're vegan crack. They're dairy-free crackers. Those have um, palm oil in it, uh, which I'm not sure if I mentioned that in the list, but palm oil, similar to other industrial seed oils with the omega-6 and the uh, oxidation. So it has palm oil, natural flavors, and then sunflower uh, lecithin, which we talked about as well. So things that, you know, you you look at and you expect to be healthy and it has some of this stuff in it. And I don't know, again, the quantities. You never know the quantities of this stuff, but it is in those things. And then something that I like, one of my favorite, is the Siete grain-free tortilla chips. And these are actually pretty clean, surprisingly. They use avocado oil, and that's advertised on the front. 
Um, so that's that's better. Uh, and there are no no natural or artificial flavorings. Even the nacho ones. Those have, are so good. I know. I love it. So what what I hate about those, it's like I think it's like four ninety nine for a bag, and it's basically one serving. <laughs> Dude, there, there's I know it's about what you would get in a little single serving bag. Yeah, they're expensive, uh, but like a fourth of the bag is, or like three fourths of the bag is air. Yeah, um, but those are those are pretty clean. So mm-hmm. that I was happy to see that. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, cauliflower food and vegan food. So. You know, we've had various trends and nutrition trends over the year. Uh, Gluten-free is one that's been around for quite a while. Vegan, organic, and natural have all been around for a while. I feel like the 2019 trend was cauliflower. Everything, you know, is made of cauliflower now. And, you know, it's good for people who are, you know, uh, truly gluten-free and need to avoid it. But as you're, you know crackers showed like a lot of the just because it's made of cauliflower doesn't make, make it healthy just because it's vegan doesn't make it healthy like a Glute, lot yeah, of gluten-free i mean i feel like everything's turning gluten-free now and i mean i think people are, are waking up more to that fact that just because gluten-free doesn't make it healthy you know, yeah people, right people yeah. joke about it yeah there's like gluten-free but, cookies like people know that's not healthy but like that's they try to market it like that that just because it's gluten-free or just because it's vegan it, it they market it as a healthy alternative yeah yeah and i all the ones that i listed here are ones that i think are seemingly healthy they're ones that i looked at and thought these are probably okay right but yeah so siete in terms of chips crackers siete is uh, is a is a good one to opt for yeah yeah like with anything you don't want to eat too much of it but right, right. Um, but it's pretty clean and then I don't. Did you want to go into bars? Or yeah, go, yeah. Go so I want to talk about bars. Okay. And this is, you know, bars are huge. Protein bars, fruit bars, granola bars, and there's so many different brands. So I'm not going to get you know too deep into the different kinds, but I want to just I want to touch on a few from each. So granola bars, one the most common healthy one out there is seemingly healthy is Cliff bars. Um, Cliff bars are are filled with sugars. The first ingredient, organic brown rice syrup. That's sugar. That's the first ingredient? First ingredient. Um, It's got some oats, um, some soy. Uh, Fourth ingredient, organic cane syrup, another source of sugar. It's got soybeans, uh, rice. Another ingredient, cane sugar. That's the third sugar in it. Uh, Or unsweetened chocolate, soy flour, oat fiber, Sunflower oil has sunflower oil in it. Um, let's see. Sea salt, natural flavors, soy lecithins, which we talked about not being terrible. Cinnamon. Yeah. So it has sunflower seed oil in it, has three different types of sugars in it. And one bar has 21 grams of added sugar to it. So Cliff Bars, no, are not healthy. They market them as people, you know, runners, uh, trail hiker people love this. Like that's kind of the group they market it to energy bars, but really they're, they're not good sources of energy. It's poor quality sugars that you should be getting from things like fruits instead. That's disappointing because I, I really do love Cliff Bars. They're so dense. No, they're good. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm not saying, you know, never eat a Cliff Bar in your life. If you every once in a while, if you want one as a, as a, you know, as a naughty you can have one, but right. don't get cliff bars, eat them every day thinking you're making, making a good choice. Right. Two others. I just want to touch on quickly. I'll just do one more, um, is cashy. Cause we mentioned this one before 
Now, this is an awful option, but it does have things we mentioned. Uh, first ingredients, oats. Second ingredient, brown rice syrup, which is sugar. Fourth ingredient, cane sugar. Um, and then it has semi-sweet chocolate chips, which within that has more cane sugar. And it has sunflower seed oil as well. And I, and then another ingredient in dried brown rice syrup, more sugar. So again, three types of sugars in this single bar. Also sunflower seed oil. And it has uh, seven grams of added sugar. So not great. Once again, it has a lot of different sugars added to it. It has sunflower seed oil. And this is cashy. I mean, it's, it's you know, the, looking at the box, it looks healthy. Um, they say, you know, non-GMO four grams of fiber looks like a a good thing to eat when you're comparing it to what's next to on the shelf. But still, when you look at the ingredients, it's not a great option. Um, a good option when you're looking at these bars, I'll name two, two brands. One is Lara bar. Um, they, they make a pretty good product. Mm -hmm. Um, very Very clean, very simple. So looking at the peanut butter ones, The first ingredient is dates, which is what they use to keep everything together and as the sweetener, but it's a full date you're getting. They are high in sugar, yes, but like we said earlier, when, you know, sugar or fructose specifically is metabolized, when you have the full fruit, you're getting fiber, you're getting all other types of nutrients with it to help the absorption process. So it's not, you know, date syrup or what it's not like just you know the sweetened part portion of the date you're getting the full date you're getting the full nutrients with that so it has dates peanuts um semi-sweet chocolate chips so it does have a little bit of sugar in there and then sea salt so very clean four ingredients Mm -hmm. one two three four yeah four ingredients nice very clean um another one is rx bar now I believe RX bar has some natural flavors in it. Other than that, you can read, you know, it's usually four, three, four ingredients, very plain and simple, but it has natural flavors. You looked into what those were. Yeah. Didn't you? Yeah. Cause I didn't even know. I, I mean, I consider RX bars pretty clean cause they're, I mean, their whole marketing is no BS. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's a little BS, uh, natural flavors, and I went to their website and they actually kind of talk about what is included. It does say natural flavors um, do not include artificial preservatives, added colors, animal products or derivatives or GMO ingredients. So it sounds like it's a, it's a cleaner form of the natural flavors. So that they're a company where you can actually go and look. So that that's encouraging to see. Yeah. Yeah. Lara bar and RX bar are two bars that I feel comfortable with and that I, I do consume. Um, other than that, I'd be very careful with what you, with what you pick up off the shelf. Um, so fruit bars are another one. I'm not looking at any brands here specifically, but with fruit bars, generally, if it says from concentrate, don't get it. It's basically just the sugar extracted from the fruit you look look for fiber basically if it has fiber in it and if it does not say from concentrate you know it's basically just the full you know apple maybe it's the full apple ground up and put into a bar so you know ideally just eat fruit but if you're going to get a fruit bar make sure it's not from concentrate that's generally high in sugar and make sure it does have some fiber to it that indicates that they at least 
kept kind of the 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 whole fruit with it. Right. Um, one brand I saw that I did like. I don't think they're actually a bar brand. They just have various dried f- dried fruits. Is Bear B A R E. Their ingredients for like they like dried apples. It's literally just apples. You know, looking at their ingredients, they don't add any types of syrups. Um, most dried fruits have sugar added to them. So Bear is a brand that has dried fruits, various fruit products that is just the fruit. They don't add anything to it. It's not from concentrate. Um, so that's a brand I would recommend if you're looking for a fruit-based snack. Um, and then lastly in bars is protein bars. And I'm not going to go down this too far because there are, I mean, so many protein bars out there and almost all of them are complete junk. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the ones and, you know, off the shelves with the big, bold words like high protein. They're basically candy bars. <laughs> now, yeah. there there are good ones out there. Um, the one I think I would recommend the most would be Quest Bars. I personally don't consume protein bars. Protein bars I see as like a supplement to your diet. When I eat bars, it's usually just as a snack. I don't like to supplement my protein. Generally, I like to get that from various uh, products such as eggs and meats. But if you are going to do a protein bar, be very careful. Look at the ingredients. Make sure it doesn't have a ton of sugar in it. Um, And Quest is is, uh, assuming you consume dairy products. Quest is not a terrible option. So looking at the ingredients there, they have it has whey protein in there. Um, Some I don't personally consume whey protein. Um, but it has whey protein, it has almonds, um, some unsweetened chocolate. Uh, I can get, they probably have natural flavors in there. Probably. So that's the main ingredients. And then it says less than 2% of sea salt, sunflower, lecithins, um, steviol, okay. uh, glyca- glycosides, which is stevia. It's another name for mm-hmm. stevia. And sucralose. Okay. So no, no natural flavors, actually. Oh, okay. And no, no oils. So um, whether you consume dairy or not, you know, if you do consume dairy, then this is okay for you. But uh, the, the protein bar brand industry is, is very deceptive. It's very easy to think you're eating a protein bar. It's healthy. Most protein bars are not. Um, I think Quest, I think they make a fairly good product. Um, so do you want to talk about, I think we want to look at smoothies as well. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah. I mean, a lot of these were the same. I won't spend a ton of time here, but some of the brands I looked at were naked smoothie, uh, oh, Bold House it, farms. I looked at the naked one too. I was at, I went into target the other day and it was like in the aisle end aisle. It just shocked me how much sugar was in that. Oh, there is a ton of sugar. I, I don't have it pulled up here. Um, I, yeah, I've got, I've got the naked, I took a picture of it, so. Okay, okay. That, so they were actually, well, I won't mention, they were sued at one point because for using all natural in their branding. I, I don't know the details, so that's all I can say on that. You can go look into it. Yeah. Um, they do have natural flavors in it. They do not have preservatives, but there is a ton of sugar. Mm-hmm. Their Blue Machine is the one that I looked at. Yeah, so I have the uh, Berry Blast. Okay. It's like yeah. one of their main flavors. And it looks healthy. Um, the side says, uh, it's, it's labeled the goodness inside. Three and a half apples, half a banana, four strawberries, 
five blackberries, four raspberries. It's like, okay, I'm getting all that fruit. Mm-hmm. Look at the back. All of it's from concentrate. So apple juice from concentrate. Yeah. Banana puree. That's, I think that's the whole banana itself. You know, yeah, I, I believe puree does, but when it's from concentrate, I mean, what they do is they like, I believe they like kind of squeeze it down and they extract, um, yeah, I mean, it's from concentrate. It's a concentrated flavor from the fruit, but you're not necessarily getting the whole fruit. Right. And associated fibers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So this one uh, specifically is 15 ounces, 15.2 ounces and 49 grams of sugar. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That is, oh man. Dude, I was like, okay, here, I have it pulled up. I have the, uh, the blue, this is called the blue machine. Mm-hmm. And it is 55 grams of sugar. Wow. Jeez. Now, a lot of this is from the fruit itself, but a lot of times, like you maybe shouldn't be eating that much fruit anyway, just because, no, exactly. again, a sugar comes from a fruit doesn't mean I can eat unlimited quantities of it. Um, it's still, you still need to limit your, your overall sugar intake regardless of the source. Right. Um, and, and that's the problem with a lot of these smoothies is it's like you're getting such a high concentration of the sugars, even if they do come from the fruit. So fruit is a salad. It's meant to be eaten like this, mm-hmm. this naked smoothie or juice is says three, four juice comes from three, four, an apple, half a banana, four strawberries, five blackberries, four raspberries. Like who sits down, eats over three apples plus all these berries right. and bananas. Like, right. You wouldn't do once. that. Like it's not healthy to consume all that at once. Like fruit's good for you and you should eat it in moderation, but like you shouldn't be drinking multiple apples at once and multiple bananas at once. Yeah. Yeah. And and these one, the, the naked one, for example, has dietary fiber is zero. There's no fiber in it. <laughs> so yeah. that just shows that they purely took out just the sweetened juice from these products and there's nothing beneficial. Uh, may, uh, maybe not nothing, but very, very few beneficial um, nutrients left in the drink. Yeah. And this story is this similar to a lot of these. So Bold House Farms, they don't have preservatives, no artificial flavors, no added sugar, but it's mostly from concentrate. Uh, there's natural flavors in it. And uh, the berry version is 52 grams of sugar. <sighs> so same story with Naked. Oddwella uh, from concentrate, natural flavors, 54 grams of sugar. I, I, I picked the berries because those are like the the flavorful ones, and I would say most of the ones that people get. The green ones, I will say, are better. They do yeah. have a lot less sugar. So if you are going to get them, I would say go with more of the veggie-based ones. So I know you guys make smoothies. Like in the morning, what what does your smoothie look like that you, you make at home? Yeah, I've shifted. So we started, when we kind of started first making smoothies, it was several, hand, several cups of spinach, water, um... I put some lemon juice, well, yeah, lemon juice in there, and then oranges and pineapple. Okay. But I've started to try to take some fruit out because of the sugar. Even though you're eating the whole fruit, um, I wanted to get away from the sugar. So I now do just spinach and a can of coconut milk Mm -hmm. and water, and that's it. Wow. Okay. Which it's, I mean, it a lot good? of people think it's gross. <laughs> um, I mean, you get used to it. It's kind of milky, which yeah, yeah, kind of just a big green smoothie. But that right. going into homemade smoothies, don't just load it with sugar. 
you know, watch which sweeteners you use and try to add greens to it. Yeah. I think kind of a rule of thumb too. don't add more fruit than you would would have eaten by itself. You know? Yes. Yes. Like if you wouldn't have sat down in one sitting and eaten that in its physical form, don't put more than that in your one serving of a smoothie. Right. And then obviously don't add additional sugars to it that are Mm -hmm. unneeded. I want to touch on trail mix very quickly. Now, trail mix comes in many different forms. There's so many different variations of it. You know, obviously, if it has candy in it, not a good option. Um, if it has fruit in it, just make sure that the fruit is not, doesn't have added sugar to it. That's very often with like like cranberries, for example, dried cranberries. You can rarely find those without added sugar to it. So if you're looking for a trail mix and it has fruit in it, just make sure it doesn't have added sugar. Also looking at like roasted versus raw. So any type of nut or seed that is roasted means it was roasted in an oil. Um, Typically it's a sunflower, a peanut or a soybean oil. So I like to opt for the raw um, like cashews and raw almonds. Uh, My, like my favorite trail mix is just like raw cashews, raw almonds, and then some, some dried unsweetened cranberries. Like that's a very, it's nice, healthy trail mix. Um, but yeah, that stuff with like M&Ms, with dried, you know, apricots, that's as additional sweetener and, you know, peanuts and chocolate, like try to avoid that stuff as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, I, we, <laughs> we could go through I and mean, we could spend all day going through all the different foods out there and what's in them and what to avoid. But I think, I think this covers most of the seemingly healthy foods. Yeah. Yeah, so some just general recommendations to kind of recap for you guys. Um, Basically, read the ingredients labels. Like, we hope this was informative in terms of understanding oils and sugars and kind of why these additives are not great for you. So look at the ingredient labels. Don't necessarily focus on the fat, carbs, and protein. That's not as important as what the actual food is on the ingredient label. Um, Packaging can be very deceptive. Like we said, um, they can, it it looks like a healthy food. It looks like it's okay to eat. Um, these brands are, are, are brilliant in their marketing. And there's hardly any regulations in terms of how you can market uh, on the, like the front of a box. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's pretty, there are regulations, but it's pretty loose. So don't rely on marketing claims that are on the front of the box. Don't, and don't assume since it's, organic gluten-free vegan or paleo that it's healthy read the fine print and do the research Mm -hmm. a a general rule of thumb so next time you go to the grocery store three things you can ask yourself when you look at something like can you count the ingredients on on one hand or two hands like is it less than 10 less than five like is it a small ingredient label if yes that's a good thing um, can you easily pronounce all of those ingredients? If yes, that's, that's a good thing. And then finally, are, are any of the ingredients a, a sugar variant? Hopefully not. So those three things yep. are kind of just a rule of thumb. If they pass those three tests, generally, you know, you're probably eating something that's okay for you. Yeah. And most of the time, the answer to getting something like that is real food over packaged food. Right. I mean, in most cases, we all like snacks. I still buy snacks. Mm-hmm. Um, but try to get the majority of your nutrients from Whole Foods. You know, eat good, nutritious meals so you don't get 
snacky and get tempted when oh, you're yeah. out shopping. That's what I found to be the most beneficial for me. Like I, I love snacks. I love cereal. So, like oh, cereal yeah. is my favorite thing. Like when I'm hungry, oh, I could just eat like three bowls of, of cereal. Dude, me too. So I easily. love it. We, we ate, um, that's what we did at Murph last year. We went and we oh, went yeah. sprouts and got two big bo- two big boxes of cereal. Yeah, and some carbo loading beforehand. Probably not yeah. the best option, but no. <laughs> anyway, my point is is to kind of how I got aw- I was huge into snacking. How I got away from that is eating bigger meals um, throughout the day. Like if if you can't get from breakfast to lunch without being starving, without having a pit in your stomach then eat a bigger breakfast, get more quality fats and proteins into that breakfast. Like a lot of the breakfast foods are carb heavy. So about an hour or two after you eat it, you're going to have this deep pit in your stomach of hunger. If you replace those carbs, the process of carbs specifically with quality fats and proteins like eggs and, and avocado, you're going to be able to get to lunch very easily. So eat bigger meals and eat quality meals and everybody's different. Some people don't even need to eat breakfast. Um, you know, however you plan your meals out, that's up to you. But if you can't get throughout the day without snacking, maybe eat a bigger meal and a more, uh, just a more substantial meal. Or, yeah, or get used to being hungry. It's yeah, good for you. yeah, yeah, that's true. You may, uh, you may just need to push through it. Hunger is not always a bad thing. Yeah. And, you know, some, some healthy snacks to help you get through the day. Carrots, green peppers, you know, almonds and walnuts. Like you said, avocados are a great one. Yeah. Uh, there are options out there. It's just it does take a little bit of a shift in your taste buds. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And you have anything else? No, I think that's it. Yeah, this is a long one. Thanks for sticking around. We really hope that um, you just got some beneficial stuff from this episode. And so next time that you go to the store, you can, you're just more knowledgeable when you look at that ingredient label and then you can make some just better decisions about your day-to-day food intake. Yeah. Hope it was helpful. Later guys. Later guys.